For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited Series in all other categories, HBO's original limited series, The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, focuses on Kidman's Grace Frazier, a successful therapist, and her devoted husband, Jonathan, played by Grant, and their young son, who attends an elite private school in New York City. A chasm opens in Grace's seemingly perfect life, a violent death, a missing spouse, and a chain of terrible revelations. All episodes are now streaming on HBO Max. Kari Skogland is the EP and the director of Disney Plus, Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and she's here today with us on Deadline's Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. How does directing an MCU series differ from directing other episodes of television? Uh, and, and let's compare this to, I'd say, The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, you know, is it, is it, on other episodic TV directing jobs, do you walk in on set and everything's just prepped for you, ready to go? Or was this one more hands-on where you're brought into the writing room, you're part of the creation process. It was more like maybe shooting a very long film. I, I, please tell yeah. us. Well, this one, I mean, um, th this one, because it was a series from the beginning. So it was a closed series. Mm -hmm. six parts we all knew we were doing six hours mm -hmm. so right there becomes a difference because something like a handmade tale you're going in knowing it's going to run for several seasons so the whole nature of how you uh, make the writing room make the pre-production process becomes kind of di different animals and marvel uh for this project i don't know that they'll do it with others but for this particular one from the beginning said let's make a six hour movie and approach it like that. We also had quite a, um, a uh, truncated timeline for pre-production because we had a you know, heavy duty um, schedule prior, prior to that falling apart with COVID, but we still had a very um, aggressive uh, delivery schedule. So it meant that it was, had to be kind of all hands on deck through this early stage, through the early stages of, of um, even the writing. So what was great was, uh, and for me, like on Handmaid Tale, the first Handmaid Tale I did, uh, I came in for the last episode. Now you still prep, you still um, uh, look at all the work that's, you know, it's, it's very similar. The difference is you haven't been there for all of the different, I don't know, um, you know, first of all, this tone is set by somebody else. So you're kind of folding into that already. So there's a lot of the heavy lifting has been done. But then you're also uh, not necessarily present when certain big things happen with the actors and performances. You, you're just seeing your little piece. What was great about Falcon and Winter Soldier is I was able not only to be in the writer's room and Malcolm, who's brilliant and super gracious and um, really em em embraced not just me and, and some of my ideas, but just the process of collaboration amongst all of us. We had a wonderful writer's room that was super friendly and super um, uh, creative. And we really, you know, left no stones unturned. Uh, but what that meant was that as I was in there and 
hearing the evolution of why a scene went a certain way, being part of some of the idea, ideas being tossed around. Um, I walked out of the writer's room completely with this, the show in my DNA. So I knew what we were doing. I knew what the actors needed to, I knew where they were heading. I knew everything about as much as I could know about the show while the scripts were being written. So I was able to be prepping because that's another problem typically with trad traditional TV is often you're prepping with no script. And so you're grasping at air a little bit because you're, you're not, you, you don't know the show well enough um, to, 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 to be inside it. This I was inside of. But that's very much the feature model. And I would, you know, love, that's, that's sort of what I do and that's what directors do, um, uh, th this kind of thing in the premium entertainment scope, scope and scale of it. These are big projects. They're too, they're, they're too big for any one person to do it all, which is, you know, a different kind of paradigm. Um, so yes, it was different, um, but all because the nature of the show in its, in its own space was quite different. Tell us about how you landed the job. I mean, was it as simple as Kevin Feige rings you up and said, hey, I saw that Handmaid's Tale episode? Or because was there, was there a script, some form of a script for you to look at? No, what, uh, no, at that point, there was just really the idea, you know, that it was going to be a black Captain America and what that journey was. So um, I presented to them my ideas, my take on it, what I would what the themes and the, um, the um, I wanna say the, the hard, hard themes, hard conversations that I would love to embrace within the, the show and the storyline. Cause at that point, the storyline was not um, uh, created at all. And, uh, and I looked at my presentation recently and thought, yeah, we did, we, I managed to, to do that. So I think it was, I just checked the boxes that they had already checked. You know, I don't think I brought to the table anything particularly new, um, but I definitely, uh, I think, uh, you know, tickled all the right, uh, all the right nerves. Having said that, one of the most important things uh, that I wanted to to um, explore in this series uh, was the idea of a hero and what is a hero today, and that is really, you know, within the context of the shield. And what it, what is it to be a black Captain America, and what that journey looks like in terms of not only his own community but the racism of the white community? You know, picking up this this black man picking up a very white iconic shield, um, you know, which is metaphor for the flag. Um, uh, I wanted to explore the hero, and so the hero of the original that that iconic guy and symbol of the shield was born of the 30s and 40s the comics that was an anti-fascist movement uh, and understandably so so it was so soldier warrior by its nature and since then we've gone you know through the huge world-changing events like 9-11 and and even the pandemic we've gone to uh, a hero also being a first responder a frontline worker so it's changed its its optics considerably, and that is who um, who um, Stan Wilson is. He's a he's a, a a counselor, you know. And so his whole his whole approach isn't combative. His approach, which is much more current and much more relevant to us today, is to 
try to harness that energy, try to get inside it and change it, try to bring it to the, you know, bring the dark to the light and, and all that as compared to extinguishing it. So it, these were some big themes that I presented that, um, that they embraced and, and, uh, and I feel very proud that we were able to, you know, go down and not answer it, by the way. I don't think, and one of the things that Malcolm did that I, that he, and he worked with Anthony on that last speech um, that was, I thought spectacular uh, was that none of it gets tied up in a little bow. It's all about, you know, we can do better. What are you gonna do with the power? You've got the power, now what are you gonna do with it? And I think that um, is also a different thing for sort of the action, action adventure of it is, you know, often it's tied up with a nice, nice little bow and adventure's finished. This, this I hope, and I think everybody on the team, uh, Malcolm included, hope that this just opens more doors to further discussion. Malcolm was mentioning to me that when it came to that speech by Anthony Mackey's uh, Sam Wilson, that it was Anthony that made the decision not to look in the cameras, but to look at the lawmakers he was talking to in the streets and, and, and when delivering that speech, he wasn't going to look eye to eye into the camera as though he was broadcasting to the world and it was an intentional decision and, and with a very nuanced way, as we saw, paid off. Can you talk more about that? Well, um, I don't know that we ever intended it to be quite into the cameras like that. Um, uh, but having said that, um, in terms of the in terms of the way we covered it and the way it had to be fluid and organic and get snippets and see him dealing with the people, you know, these powerful people who had steered the ship into a corner. And, you know, as he says, don't call them terrorists. That's your first mm -hmm. mistake. Is that yeah. what they are? You know, and who is this girl? And so by posing questions, um, and I think that was very much Anthony's intention, posing questions to these people so that we see how it lands. So the way I covered it was very much um, and I think it is the, the, you know, as derivative of the, this conscious decision not to be podium, but to be um, inclusive of this conversation as he's talking to them. And then I made sure that we covered seeing how it affects them, you know, so that they, they are sort of uh, on their back foot going, oh, right. Okay, shit. He's opening a door in a way that's I hadn't thought of before. So I think it's very powerful to see in any drama how something is affecting people versus predicting what that is. And so then you see the, you know, the effects of it. And that was the goal. And then to see his friend at the end of it kind of, you know, take the piss out of him and say, yeah. you lost me at, uh, you know, I forget what he said, but, um, and all that was very ad-libbed. And that was the other beautiful thing about Sebastian and, and Anthony. They're such old friends that they could throw these ad libs out and, um, and <laughs> yeah. just own them. And so uh, after this big heartwarming speech where we yeah. are kind of gobsmacked and going, shit, we have to actually get, we have to get inside our own racism here. We have to, right. we have to um, understand uh, 
the impact of what we've just seen and talk about it more and, and open doors to further conversation and how, how we are gonna all be part of changing the world and changing the narrative. And then we get Sebastian kind of going, oh, you lost me at, uh, <laughs> you know, it was great. Great counterpoint. The, um, give us a timeline of what did you shoot before the pandemic? What episodes roughly? Then how long did you break? What did you shoot after? You know, what did you shoot after lockdown? Well, one of, the, one of the beauties of uh, shooting all six, directing all six, was that we were able to block shoot. So it meant that, um, in fact, when we, uh, we had shot about 75% of the show um, when we were, you know, had to shut down. And, but we had block shot. So we actually had the entire series with holes in it. So it wasn't like we were shooting it linearly, episode by episode. Mm -hmm. So what it meant was in a way that was a kind of a, a great bonus because we um, then were able to go in and sharpen our pencil, you know, as we were doing posts, we, we shut down and then continued working. Uh, we just got up remote, remotely in post and, um, and then looked at the whole series because now we could look at it once again, kind of like a movie and go, oh, okay, this character is working really well here. Let's augment, you know, now that we've seen that, let's try this. And so we sharpened our pencil character wise. We also, of course, the world was uh, with the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was happening uh, in the US in terms of the politics. We were very um, aware that the, the story was becoming more and more relevant every, every second. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to make sure we got it right. So we definitely sharpened our pencils in terms of just absolutely making sure that we were leaving no stone unturned and you know, talking about what, what the racial issues uh, were pre being presented and making sure we were inside of that. And so, but it, it didn't really change the story because we were already telling that story. It was really just sort of character tweaks as we were discovering also um, um, John Walker, because that was a new character we, I was calibrating, you know, how to shoot him. Uh, sometimes we would make him a little funnier and then sometimes we make him a little ser more serious on the same scene so that later we could go back. And if we had, if we had um, calibrated him a certain way, we wanted to have options of how to get there. Cause we weren't, you know, I wanted to have, uh, I, I shoot very much for the editing room. So I really like to redirect the show in editing and I think that's consistent with the way Marvel works and with the way the way Kevin processes. So um, I love to have many different options so that if we go, gee, did he say that line a little more seriously? Because now, you know, we want da, 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 that we have those options. So um, to Wyatt's credit, he he we played a lot with that for him. And then we were able to then hone in uh, by the time we were able to see the whole series and go, okay, that's the choice that we want to stick with, you know? I was going to ask, he, he was on uh, my list of questions here. I, I mean, he's really amazing. Um, did he approach the role as, like, as we're seeing it as a viewer, this guy is an enig enig he's got an enigma about him. We don't know what to make of him. Did he approach it the same way? Did he play him with that kind of same duality? I mean, 
we see he has a crisis of conscience, conscience when we meet him. You know, the shield is a little too much to bear, but there's, there's an addiction to power and fame going on. Yes, well, what we, and that we, I think one of the ways we sharpened our pencil, for example, was to make sure that we understood that he was a very earnest guy, actually. You know, and so the, the scene um, that opens episode two, where we meet him as a slightly nervous, I, I wanna do the right thing here. I wanna be as the best I can be. This is the ultimate, um, the ultimate gift for me to be carrying this shield and, and, and for my, my partner Lamar to be at my side is, you know, um, is now it's us, we're, we need to step up. And so we wanted to make sure that that was at the, the cornerstone of his character, that he is ultimately trying to be good. He doesn't, he has a deficit in his DNA that he just doesn't have all of, all of it, what it takes because he does get a bit hooked into uh, the, the position of it. I am Captain America. Do you know who that is? You know, and so he's, he's bringing a bit more of the warrior soldier into it, uh, which is not as relevant to the problems that he's facing. And so when you're facing radicalism, you know, which is one of the, the, um, um, the isms that we explored, when you're facing that, to, foot, to come on full combat isn't necessarily the right way to, to um, defeat it, you know? And so, so it was really important to us that we saw that journey. So when he says to Lamar, Lamar says, well, you've won all these, these um, medals of honor. And he goes, yeah, the, you know, the worst day of my life. We realize that there's a bit of an imposter syndrome going on and it always has been. He doesn't believe he's the, 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 that guy. He, he, however he earned those stripes had a gray quality to them and he can't get past the gray. And that was very much Wyatt bringing all of that, those ideas and that, those thoughts wow. into it. Uh, so he's a very, very thinking actor. And the speech that he does in front of the tribunal, you know, you built me and now you're abandoning me. Those were very much Wyatt's ideas. Wow, wow. David, remember how Hugh Grant was always the romantic hero and all those romantic comedies back in the 90s? You have to check out The Undoing, in which he stars with Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman plays Grace Frazier. She's a successful therapist. She's devoted to her husband, Jonathan, who Grant plays. They have a young son in an elite private school in New York City. Then their whole life begins to unwind. There's a violent death, a missing spouse, and a lot of cool, interesting chaos. You can watch all the episodes on HBO Max, and the show is for Emmy consideration for outstanding limited series and all other categories. Going back, coming, when, when did you resume production? And, and where was it? Out of lockdown, was it in Atlanta? We came back to Atlanta in August. And then um, what was the biggest addition, you would say? You've gone through Black Lives Matter, you're already prescient, you're, you're writing a show with a lot of these themes. What was the biggest addition? And were you editing as early as January 6th when the Capitol riots happened? And how did that impact the show? Well, we were, we were editing, um, we, I, we were editing 
as soon as we started shooting because we had this very aggressive timeline. So I was um, shooting during the day and editing at night um, through production. Then we shot, then we locked down and then we, you know, continued editing, geared back up. And then we were in post-production uh, full on after that. So we were already very um, uh, inside all that story. No, that was completely prescient. I mean, we, uh, our story um, was telling that. Mm-hmm. And then on the news, we, we couldn't believe what was happening, yeah. which only, only goes to show the conversation we were having is so long overdue. Mm-hmm. And so I think where, where we were, all of us um, were very proud, I guess, is that we were at least on the inside of, of you know, looking at it and, and uh, dramatizing it um, and hoping that we have, you know, left no stone unturned when in this discussion, which is obviously multifaceted. The, um, by the way, in, in shooting this, I know, I know you had mentioned the David Lean Cannon and Midnight Cowboy were some of your influences. Uh, visually, looking at this, the the overcast colors, such as in episode four, uh, the whole world is watching, reminds me of the lives of others. It's like you captured this great kind of European look, uh, and then episode three. Uh, uh, the power broker reminded me a lot. I'm just telling you what, what spoke to me, like the colors of like the Korean, the Korean cinema, like films like Old Boy. I'm just wondering, were those some of your influence? Can you talk about your, your visual color palette and your cinematic influences in, in yeah. especially in episode six, which I know is a is a favorite. Yeah. So Throughout, I mean, I think we were all building to episode six, thematically, visually, it was all going to kind of come together there. Now, the tricky thing, though, was, of course, we were also shooting out of order. So, um, you know, I was shooting, for example, I shot the last, the last um, scene between Anthony and Sebastian, where they're looking out over the water on day three of shooting. Wow. Wow. So, it, uh, and so I can, I can attest to a certain amount of serendipity, um, but the work that we did to get to that place where we could, you know, mix and match as necessary was giving each world its due. So, so um, Sam's home life being in mm-hmm. Louisiana, having this very warm, these warm tones, uh, very, you know, simplistic, but moving camera being with him. I was always trying, no matter where we were, to inject um, perspective, choosing a perspective that we were in and sticking with that. And that meant focal plane work. Um, it meant, um, you know, certainly aggressive camera work in certain cases. In, in episode one, there's, you know, Bucky, the, the um, uh, uh, psychiatrist scene, which was very much, you know, his prison. And so these very tight close-ups uh, whereas Sam's world we were introducing as being this more expansive legacy. Um, he had uh, obviously history through the house. We could see this house was obviously in the family for a long time. There, the, this boat that suggested um, a history that we wanted to, to 
pull into our world um, of Black history. Uh, and even down to the bank. And one of the, the little moments was, you know, seeing his passport was a very important thing. This is an American we're talking about, you know, uh, as the bank manager is not managing his own racism terribly well. Um, so all of these added up to uh, looking at each, each the sort of the, the center, the center heartbeat, I suppose, of each episode. So episode three was Madripoor, which wanted to have an Asian quality, but be otherworldly, be scary, um, but but somehow you know embrace these sort of poppier colors of of that particular culture. Um, I looked a lot at uh, not only Asian movies, uh, Korean movies. Um, I looked at uh, in terms of the buddy cop of it. Uh, both Malcolm and I looked at you know as I said the, things as far-reaching as Midnight Cowboy. Uh, which is relationship oriented. Uh, the French film, The Untouchables, again, relationship oriented. Uh, the classics, Midnight, Midnight Run, Lethal Weapon, you know, looked at all of that for the sort of what the, the core um, emotional space wanted to be. And I suppose some of the visual space, but for us, I, I was embracing in terms of the visuals, I wanted cinema and experience. So the experiential qualities of it were going to be somewhat mined from more modern filmmaking techniques, which also have more modern abilities through cameras, through being able to light differently because the cameras are more sensitive. Um, so therefore you can have a more naturalistic feel. I looked at a lot of extreme sports videos because our flight stuff needed to feel like we were really there. And what is that? Wow. That's that's extreme sports cameras. That's, you know, GoPro. Anything football. specific, any specific? Yeah, I looked at uh, some of the, a lot of um, uh, the teams that jump out of planes. <laughs> yeah. Know, uh, we looked at, you know, and where they put the cameras, all, they slap them all over their bodies. So you'll, you'll see that quality in all the flight stuff, um, uh, both episode one and episode six, um, because, I wanted that sense of the aesthetic that goes, because we now are used to, we've, the aesthetic has changed. Uh, we are less um, objective now with camera work and we are much more, and you know, right to it's be, the camera is actually stuck to you. So you get the feeling of the world moving, but you're, so it, that aesthetic was important for me to, to try to embed into the, the Falcon flight stuff. And then later the Captain America flight stuff as we saw that evolve. We also, even in the evolution of that action, uh, wanted to go from what Falcon could do to what could this new um, Captain America with wings do, uh, which was different. So even his action, we, we worked a lot on the nature of what he could do because he's not a super soldier. So he's not bringing that to the party. He's bringing uh, physical expertise, um, cleverness in how to anticipate uh, you know, a, a dangerous situation and he's got these wings, he can fly. So what was that gonna look like? So much more acrobatics, much more, um, uh, uh, we wanna see the shield do new things that he, only he could do. Um, Very cool. so it was all the, these the trees. The trees. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of people haven't picked up. So the shield goes into the tree, oops. And then it's like, well, 
how do we practice and not kill a lot of trees? So that's why we put the pillows all around the trees. And a lot of people haven't picked that up. You know, that, that was, sort of, it was our little wink. <laughs> um, there was a lot of, like, I know Tom Cruise always has a plane story, whether it's on The Mummy or Mission and, you know, the last Mission Impossible movie. There was a lot of, there was a lot of plane jumping, especially in the first episode. There was actual plane jumping out of planes, mm -hmm. not all VFX. No, no, no. We hired a team um, that that uh, had done a lot of the work and had uh, in you know in extreme sports arenas. So we hired them, and they jumped out of you know the six squirrel suit guys jumped out, and uh, and our captain Vassant jumped out of a plane, and you know the the um, how they land inside the other plane, mm -hmm. land in a plane. They did that actually that. happened. They did that. We, I, oh my I hired God. a team that could do that. And uh, when I saw it in an extreme sports video, I was like, we have to, we have to figure out how to do that. And so to their credit, they, that's what they did. That is fantastic. Was that a, was that a heavy demand to ask for? Like as a director, like I need, well, <laughs> I need you know, that you're, you're shot. always, you're always working with inside safe, inside safety yeah. guidelines. Yeah. So uh, with all stunts. Um, and what's great about stunts now more than ever is um, you have such digital options that you can keep people safe. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can say, well, digital can take that over. So we never have to put somebody in a right compromising position where they're in over their head or something can go wrong. With stunts, something can always go wrong. It doesn't matter. You know, you're, you are by definition doing something that is um, it, it's got the, you know, the many different ways it can go sideways. So you're always looking for ways to make sure that you're as safe as possible. I had an amazing stunt team um, and they, they were always super safe, safety conscious, no matter what rigs we were using, um, say it was always safety first. And, and that, you know, makes a difference. Cause I always feel like if I'm not willing to do it myself, we shouldn't be doing it. Now that doesn't mean I have any skill set in doing it, so I definitely shouldn't be doing it anyway. But the point is, I have to look at it and go, no, I would do that if I if I had the skills, I would do that. Um, so I'm never asking someone to do something that's outside of what I what I'm told by you know. I also um, confer with the team who who will tell me, uh, you know, Dave McCumber, uh, who's our fight coordinator, was fantastic at at, at making sure that we would never crossing a line, like if we, if he felt anyone was too tired or we'd done too many takes uh, or, or, you know, he would come and say, this is a one take thing. We've, we've rehearsed it and practiced it, but we probably can't duplicate it, whatever it is. Uh, you know, you listen to your team on the safety front. The um, uh, casting, are you, are, were you part of the casting process? Yeah, very much so. The um, one of the biggest surprises, I think, for everyone was Julia Louise Dreyfus as uh, Contessa Valentina Allegra. How did that come about? I mean, obviously, it's a no brainer to cast her, but I, I would have never thought of her for a Marvel series. And she brings herself and she's so winning in the role and and just brings that that comedic acerbic edge. She was just fantastic. You know, can you tell us? I would love to say that was my idea, but it was not. That was Kevin, for sure. That was Kevin's idea. Okay. Um, of course, we embraced it, all of us. Um, uh, when I when you know I heard about this uh, idea being floated, um, and um, Zoe Nagelhut and uh, 
Nate Moore, who were my executives, uh, we all talked about it and, and you know, could have been more excited. And when she said yes, um, and we talked, I think before she said yes about what the character was going to be. I'm sure she talked to Kevin um, at length um, because all of these, these um, kinds of casting decisions are made usually without a script at, at that point, right? You, they're early on. At Apparel came on board without a script. So you're really telling them what the role is, what you hope it will be, um, because they, they, they aren't necessarily able to judge based on a page. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of trust as a result of the legacy of Marvel and how, how much they serve these characters and make sure that they get them right. So in, uh, I think by the time I talked to her, we either just had pages or, or she was about to get them. So we talked a lot about, you know, just the design of the hair and how, how, how kooky she did or didn't want to be and what, you know, what all that, because she wanted to embrace what this character was, the, the sort of the marvelous uh, outlandishness of her and yet sort of contain it inside a, inside a box that was um, quirky, but as you said, acerbic, you know, and what, 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 uh, walking the line of, is she or isn't she? What is, she was you know, great. How dangerous, just, how dangerous is this person? What knowledge does she have? So she just, I mean, she just had fun with the role and we loved watching it. Do the actors more or less, do they have a lot of say in their costumes when they deal, when, when they're conferring with the costume department? Um, well, it depends on or, the costumes, but yeah, okay. you always want to embrace, I mean, obviously the, the, the big hero costumes are, um, that's a big right. team and that's a, a whole different process. But like with any, uh, but there's a tremendous collaboration um, across the board with all the actors and uh, and their certainly their costumes. If they were uh, the, the um, casual wear, would be very um, very uh, collaborative. Um, you know, I mean, I I believe in characters that our actors know their characters more than I do. Right, that I can know a lot, but they've been playing them. They've either been playing them or they're going to play them and they need to embody them and have them inside their, their heartbeat in a way that makes them the expert in their character. And some of that is costume where they feel comfortable. I would never want to put an actor in, an, in a costume where they don't feel like that is the right thing that the, the character would be wearing because that is, that is part of how they create all the authenticity that goes behind their performance. So I'm uh, very open to, to discussion on all fronts. Can you tell us anything about season two? Is it happening? <laughs> you know, I can say I hope so, but I have no idea beyond that. And can you, what, what is next? What are you working on next? Well, I'm working on, I've got nothing I can announce right at the moment, but uh, there are some announcements coming um, in, the, in the feature space. Um, and uh, I'm certainly hoping the phone will ring uh, one day from Mr. Feige once again. Uh, but at this point, I have no Marvel projects on the, on the decks, but I have um, several others. Kari Skoglin, thank you so much. Thank you for joining Thanks us today on Crew Call. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.